I think every woman feels something after they've had their baby and because it's so overwhelming, it's such a change and it's a responsibility to keep a baby alive. It's like it's up to us and that's why... You know, I want things to be simple for women so they can feel good about themselves because part of feeling good about yourself is that you're in control of what the baby's doing. And it's not that hard to find some simple ways of doing it rather than going outside the square all the time. We've been doing it for centuries and it's and it's been working. Not everyone likes what I do. I think that's fine. I mean, I'm very confident in what I do. I've done it all my life. And, you know, I feel proud that I can help women, you know, with their babies. You see in their faces when you're talking and they're just like, yes, I understand. And there's nothing more empowering. Hello, and welcome to Parenthood, conversations about life after kids. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every fortnight I will bring you discussions about the real and raw realities of parenting, life behind the Instagram filter. Join us as we laugh, cry, and bond over the organized chaos that is parenthood. Midwife Kath, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are absolutely thrilled that you're here with us. So thank you. Thanks for asking me. I think Liv and I were saying that we think you're such a celebrity in our world. So uh, I'm a little bit starstruck, but uh... Uh, no, I'm very normal. (laughs) So for everyone listening who doesn't know the great guru midwife Kath, um, she is a trained and fully qualified nurse nurse, midwife, maternal and child health nurse. She has years and years and years of experience. Um, I, I actually read about you, Kath, that you've delivered thousands of babies throughout your 45-year career. I've worked, I think, I think I've worked 46 years. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time when you think about it. I'm yeah. like, I don't even know how I did it, but, you know, <laughs> I still work and I still love it and, you know, I still, yeah, I, I've... I'm very grateful that I have a, an amazing profession that I can continue working. Oh, and you impact so many people's lives. I was saying to you just earlier that the first six weeks, your book um, was one of the only books I read before becoming a mum. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, Liv, you could probably attest to this in in how just it's so you, it's just encompasses everything you would ever have to know as a parent. I believe anyway. Oh, it was a survival guide, Kath, and I don't know if you wrote it with that intention, but it felt like a survival guide for for me, and I certainly recommended it to anyone else who needed it. <laughs> It's funny you say that because just last night, you know, when you scroll through photos looking for things, which I've got a million photos in my phone, and I found um, the email that was sent to me to ask me if I'd like to write a book. And it's sort of like, you know, where were you when Elvis Presley died or whatever? Mm. I can remember that feeling of like, oh, yeah. It was never on my radar, ever, 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 to write a, um, a book. And then when this woman asked me, um, she said, can you write a book about babies? I said, well, I can. I mean, that's not a problem. But I think women need to know about the first six weeks after they've had a baby. Done. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. that was easy to go yeah. So I didn't want it to be so overwhelming for women and um you know, my whole role in life, I believe, is to help young women be happy and um, good mums and just feel good about themselves, you know. And 
I personally had wonderful parents and a very and a really great mum. And, you know, she always used to say to me, you know, do, teach very simply to women. You know, they're tired and they've got a lot of children, to, but just be simple. Not simple, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so when I started the book, I just, I made it very, very simple to read um, because I know women are tired and emotional and it's it's hard work. Mm. Um, and also I thought it would be good for partners too because it was a it was it wasn't it was about a family. It was about starting a family rather than you having a baby mm-hmm. and and setting up your family by um, having um, the baby start to have some sleep because I know, and I've always practiced like this, is if um, if the mother is happy and functioning, everyone is. Yeah. So we're, we're the centre of the universe as mothers. Mm. So that's a long answer to the book. But, you know, and when the book came, when it, when it was all finished and um, – and I was given the books, there's another feeling that I never thought I could experience. And I don't I just can't explain what it felt like. Hmm. Then when it was going to be published like, you know, two weeks later, I just had an anxiety attack. I thought, <laughs> what have I done? You know, like everybody's going to know about me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was just about a half an hour of total panic. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> after that, I'm just very grateful doing it. You're a normal human being, hey, Kath. You feel mm. all the things that we feel. Leonie and I have you up on a pedestal, but it's yes. nice to see that, yeah, you're so real. Mm. You did write after the first six weeks, Kath. So how did that come about? So very funny, actually. Um, I used to get so many emails and they would say, so what happens after the first six weeks? <laughs> and, that, and that literally <laughs> is what everyone would say. And I'm like, I said to my publisher, well, there's the title. Yeah. And um, so I'm writing another one now, final one. Oh. <laughs> but I, I said that after the first one. But um, <laughs> uh, this one's about pregnancy and mm. sort of a very up-to-date um, a book on pregnancy. Uh I really think toddlers need a book, but I just don't know if I can. If I please, can, like, please, Kath, we need I you. Toddlers. I love toddlers. I, I just love them so much and I really I really think they deserve a book, but I, I might get there. Yeah, oh, I love that. So speaking of pregnancy, uh, in our last episode uh, we were talking about birth stories and um, one thing that we found, and we actually took it to our community as well and did a little bit of research around um, some stats around, you know, induction rates, for example, within Australia, and we were we found them staggering. They're very high. I mean, Liv, you were saying you'd read that they Australia does have one of the highest rates. Yeah, I had read something recently, and don't quote me on it, but yeah, maybe a year ago I stumbled across this article that was saying that there was a growing rate both globally of caesareans but yep. then in Australia and Kath, you know, Leonie and I started surmise, surmising about this and thought we probably should just ask an expert. <laughs> yeah, well, um, and, and, you know, like I've done this sort of for three, de- four decades now, over four decades. Um, I, I think um, induction for a start has been given a very bad name. Mm-hmm. And that's been sort of carried from from the 70s, really, the 60s and the 70s. And um, 
so it was it was really a, a, an insult. Women thought it was just an insult to be um, induced. And um, if, if I just give you a very quick sort of story about my training, is that I, I, I when I did my training and and all my life I wanted to be a midwife, like. That's what I wanted to do when I was eight. And mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of eight children. And my mum said, You're you are. And it was just like, you know, I had to go through the process to become a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went and did my training, I was so excited because I had done nursing training and I, I was damaged by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and after about six months, I, I went to put in my resignation. Um, because women um, were women had to had to shave their pubic hair, had to give them an enema. Um, they had vaginal examinations on a routine. Everyone had an episiotomy, and I'm like, God, what? it's barbaric, isn't it? It was barbaric, and I was I I was really broken about it, you know, because it just, mm. you know, it, it wasn't what my philosophy was. So. Um, so I, I, at six months, I'm like, this is not for me, unfortunately, but it's not for me. And I went to see the matron. Um, she was very kind and she said to me, just remember, in six months' time, all your friends will be midwives and you won't. That was all I needed. <laughs> I spun on my heels and I was out of there. I'm like, I'm staying. <laughs> but that training then gave me a, because the active birth um movement was just starting. So, you know, um, hypnobirthing and calm birthing, it's all really based on active and natural childbirth, what we, what we did in the seventies and eighties. And, um, so I set up birth centers in Melbourne and as an alternative to, to labor ward, women would come to the birth center and it's the best job I've ever had because, I mean, I was very young. <laughs> I was about 27, I think, and I got this massive job to actually set up the whole unit and, you know, double beds. I, I sort of invented double beds in the hospital because, you know, like why can't the partners stay? Mm-hmm. But we very rarely had um, births on the bed. They are either in the shower, on the floor. That's it, mm-hmm. you know, never on the bed. So I was very big and strong and I was an activist for women's rights in birth. And, uh, you know, I was called um, a radical and all those things. But, you know, the stats were amazing. And that is that, and this is getting back to your question, Mm. that at the end of every year I did the stats. And first of all, there was always an equal boys and girls being born within in 12 months. Unbelievable. Maybe sometimes Unbelievable. One, yep, I don't believe it. Sometimes one before <laughs> one boy or three less girls. But overall very good. Yeah. And the and the the rate of induction, well we didn't well we we didn't do induction, but we had to transfer women to the labor ward if they needed induction. But it was only for a medical reason. Mm-hmm. And and every every place I've worked at, um I've never seen induction done because the doctor wants to play a game of golf. I've just never seen, ever seen that happen. So that's the long story behind why induction has a bad name because women, when it, when it was sort of quite popular, it was brutal. And that was 
um, again in the 80s. Um, the uh, the use of syntocinon in the, uh, mm. which is the synthetic form of the oxytocin hormone, was intra- given intravenously. Plus, their waters were broken, and you know all different types of labour, and that's that's sort of a complex story. But it was it was extremely painful, and and this these days we didn't have epidurals, we didn't have computers, we didn't have ever anything, and so women laid for days. Not 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 hours, you know. I could do a, a shift, um, finish, go out, come back the next afternoon, still in labour. But, but what we learned, and, and and I think this is, you know, all about medicine, especially in obstetrics. And what I've seen clearly is that we have just come so far in my forty three years, like unbelievable. So when people say. They don't want to be induced or, or, or induction such a high rate. It's because we know more about women mm-hmm. who are pregnant. We know more about the baby. So what you're saying, Kath, then is potentially because of the technology and because of how advanced it is and because of all of the the factors in that we know exactly what's happening with the mum and the baby all throughout the pregnancy, it kind of makes sense that more inductions are likely to happen for the protection of the well, outcome. Well, better. Well, it's life-saving. Yeah. Yeah. Life-saving, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Every, woman, um, every woman who's a diabetic now, looking 2020, will always um, be induced prior to 40 weeks. Now, it might be the 39th week. It yeah. might be the 36th. It's got nothing. Yeah. It's, it's about how she is, how the baby is. Mm. Um, women are older and having babies. Um, uh, I was 38 when I had my son. I was seen as old. I just forgot to have a baby. I thought, oh, my goodness. I <laughs> um, and so women who are, you know, 39, 40, up to 45, whatever it goes to, yeah. it's a young girl's sport, pregnancy. It really is. And women who are older, there's the same risk. The longer you go, things happen and they're not good. So they have to be induced. And also the other one is the IVF pregnancies. Now, this causes, this in the age of the mum always causes distress. And, you know, all babies are, are precious, but, um, you know, the evidence is screaming that they need to be delivered. Mm. And I've been a midwife before IVF. I went to one of the first meetings for IVF here in Melbourne and, um, you know, it's it's amazing what we can do. And women can have babies, you know, mm. for a lot of women couldn't have babies in the past. So mm. a long, a very long answer, I'm sorry, but I really, I do a lot of class, um, education and I really try and be as positive as I can about induction because it's not about failure. No, yeah. woman, no woman fails in labour. This mm. is about having a, a very healthy mother and a very healthy and alive baby. Mm. Interested as to whether you have you were you in hospitals during sort of the COVID um, pandemic? I'm sort of changing tact a no. little bit here. No, okay, because because Liv and I both had babies last year, and one thing um, just on the breastfeeding front, which is slightly different, but again, whilst in hospital, as you're trying to learn how to breastfeed the first time. Um, 
funnily enough, a lot of the midwives were saying that they had a lot higher success rates with breastfeeding during this pandemic because no visitors could come to the oh, hospital. It's, it's just a celebration. When I was younger, we had visiting hours for like 40 minutes and then mm. some of the cranky old midwives just went and kicked people out. No one questioned it. We put a call out around the breastfeeding front to um, our audience and of all the people who responded, there was 80% of people said they did breastfeed and 64% said they did not find it easy. Um, any, I mean, how did you find breastfeeding, Liz? I've got to say it's the one thing that really caught me by surprise. It felt like one of those things that, yeah, you couldn't really read one of your books on Cass or, you know, I went to the Etworth breastfeeding class, but I can't tell you what I no. retained from breastfeeding that. Is, it's very interesting. And when I do Zoom consultations, I, I, I've got a baby on the breast successfully from interstate. It's a very primitive process. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I just think about, you know, a handful of my friends. Some had no milk. In fact, quite a few had no milk. Some had too much milk. Lee, I think you were in that camp, (laughs) particularly initially. I know, yes, nipple issues, latching issues. I had one girlfriend who had, I think they're bleeps or blebs, which are blisters and just just awful stuff. But I guess in thinking, oh, we've got midwife Kath here today, um, are there things that are really useful to know for new mums, I guess, in that week or that day one when you've just had birth and all of a sudden you've got this baby being thrust at you? Um, well, that I don't like. Yeah. I don't like that at all. That's one. Yeah. A few things that I consistently do. One mm. is I, I dress and wrap the baby. Yeah, all feeds, in, especially in the first six weeks, and then um, for the first six months um, for feeding too. Yeah, the other thing is um, uh, I, I teach the mother to use the cradle hold yeah. and to bring the baby to her. I I don't go and push any baby on. I make sure. Yeah. That and I, te- I don't even touch a baby. I will talk to the mother and say, "This is how." You need to do it. If there are there any problems with like um, sore nipples or inverted nipples or flat nipples, yeah. I use nipple shields for everyone. Yeah, and yeah. they, and I know a lot of people actually take the baby off the breast. Now I'm really keen, and I want to take keep the baby on the breast, and that's what nipple shields do, because if the baby is on your breast. You know, Mother Nature wants us to see and love our baby and Mm. that's how you let down your milk. And um, Mm. so it's another thing that's just got so many people confusing women so many times. Mm. Breastfeeding is hard for a lot of women. A lot of women have hurdles. But I don't think you're getting consistent care in the hospital. It's so interesting you say that. I think Lee and I have shared this before that even our midwives in hospital, I think we had four or five teachers a different way to yeah. swaddle, how to feed, yeah. different positions. And it, yeah, there's just, it's almost, it's too complicated. There's too yeah. much information, as you're saying, and become more complicated than it needs to be. Because it is uncomplicated. Mm. You've got, and that's sort of, I suppose, part of, you know, who I am to around, you know, babies and, mm. and families is to just uncomplicate it. Yeah. 
I am very jealous, Kath, of your daughter-in-law if she has a child. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> you were my mother-in-law. I'd be like, he's the baby. Oh, don't <laughs> worry. I'll be saying thanks very much. Um, look, they're lovely and um, they're very happy. Um, and, oh, I can't wait. It will, it will be another part of my life and um, – I really can't wait. So I, um, I, I think all her friends say to her, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's a bit sick of it, but we have a great yeah. relationship and I, I'm very I'm very lucky to have her as a daughter-in-law and my son are both very happy. So oh, I love so that. Well, one we'll thing welcome that you, a baby one day. Yes. <laughs> one thing that you mentioned then, Kath, and I think this is um, really why you've been so successful in what you do is simplifying things. And I know for me, if we sort of turn to sleep, right, so the bed bottle at, oh, sorry, bath bottle bed routine was killer. Like that changed my life. So firstly, thank you. I mean, I, I, I've been doing that for, I don't know, 30 something years. Yeah. And that was again, um, it, the book gave me the um, avenue to actually, you know, put it down, but explain it very easily. Yes. It is. I've just got an SMS right then saying um, uh, that one of my oldest friends, her daughter had a baby, and uh, I went to see them yesterday, and she said, love the BBB again. It's her second child. Baby slept from 10.30 to 2.45, and the baby's not a week old and and really doing wonderfully. Look, it doesn't work for everyone, but I don't think everyone stick to the rules yeah for those listening can you give a a bit of a summary on the bath bottle bed routine so so the bbb is it's bath um and then it's either breast or bottle breast milk in a bottle and then bed but newborn babies will not go to sleep until about 11 o'clock and you know traditionally babies were bathed at six o'clock and then people try and settle a baby to 11. Personally, I think there's nothing more anxiety-provoking than trying to get a baby to go to sleep. Yeah. It doesn't work. So I do lots of tummy time and feeding from 6 to about 9. Mum goes to bed. The bath's at 10 o'clock. And then the baby has the capacity, if it's like, say, 3.5 kilos, the capacity to sleep two or three hours. And then as the baby gets older, and gains more weight, weight, it'll be three to four, and then four to five, and five to six. So that's the right-hand side of the clock taken over. Mm-hmm. When that happens, then you slowly bring the other ba- the, the bath back to 9.30, 8.30. Mm-hmm. Um, so around four to five months, they will be um, uh, bath at 6.30, a breast. And then why 10 o'clock is so important is because the partner can just pick the baby up and um, give the baby what's called a rollover feed or a dream feed. So it's a bottle in their sleep. And that gives the baby enough calories to go through to about 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, and then the other thing is that with the with the BBB is that because they do get a good sleep um, and a good stretch of sleep without feeding, then babies cannot feed, they could, cannot sleep a lot during the day. And I think the, some of the buzzwords like cat, catnaps, um, you know, and, and women are trying to get babies to go to sleep and sleep and sleep and babies can go without sleep during the day without a doubt, but they cannot go without milk. Mm. So a baby that's sleeping well overnight 
has to be having a lot of food and maybe three or four little sleeps of 40 minutes. That's all. And then, you know, as the BBB travels on, you can get sort of seven or eight, nine. How, how long did your little one go to sleep? Sleep through, remember? Mine was a nightmare. I actually went to Messiah sleep school for both of my kids because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, um, I, actually, I set up Masada many years ago. Did you really? I set up the whole obstetric no unit. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, I, I, I feel sad that they're sleep schools. I really do. I really do. I just feel we must be something's going wrong in our care of young women. But it, it's such a pressure, isn't it, that, you know, oh. your baby's sleeping and some babies don't sleep, you know. Yeah. And linking those cat naps and, oh, they only did 45 minutes, it's got to be two hours, I failed. You become obsessive. I'm, like, totally obsessive with all sleep windows. And, no, no, yeah. no, none of that. You've got to respond to your baby's needs mm. and you've got to go back to basics, go back to Mother Nature. This linking cycles is just ludicrous because again the baby has to have a lot of tummy time back time tummy time back time feed 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 a nap 45 minutes doesn't matter and see someone has has given that a verbal name you know uh, the cat nap and people see it as bad it's not bad that's all the baby's capable of doing Mm. but women are trying to get these babies to sleep for two hours they don't sleep for two hours until they're over six months and they're eight, nine kilos. Mm. So, you know, it, it's it's a refreshing to hear, Kath, just to, mm-hmm. yeah, take the pressure off ourselves, right, and thinking that every baby is the same, right? I think we all fall into this trap of we've read a book and think, right, well, I can, my baby's six weeks old. It should be, you know, their baby's sleeping for two hours. Why is my baby not mm. sleeping for two hours? My baby uh, didn't sleep well for a while. I mean, you know, he had reflux and yeah. we had no treatment in those days. So, yeah. you know, it's... It's, oh. I think I think your generation wants babies to sleep right through straight away, and it just doesn't happen like yeah. that. Yeah. We asked our audience at what point did their baby start showing more consistency in sleep routine and awake times. Three to six months was the most mm. popular response to that. Um, I'm not sure if that. Yeah, if that sort of makes sense yep. to you, Kath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You touched on this as well. Our generation, it's information overload. You know, Liv and I, and a lot of our audience, we're the type A personalities, got to tick the box, got to get it done, got to get a five stars in everything we're doing. And so, you know, if we're not linking sleep cycles and if we're not breastfeeding perfectly, and if we happen to get mastitis, then we've completely failed and just throw the book, mm. you know, to the ground. You know, I feel silly. <laughs> I feel silly saying this to Kath now because she's just saying just simplify it. I know one thing, and you referenced this before, is Kath's rap and swaddling. And I was the mum, particularly with my firstborn, that said, my baby doesn't like to be swaddled. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> that was me. I would have been saying to you, Kath, I'm sorry, but my baby just doesn't like to be swaddled. People stop me in the street and say that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, talk to us about swaddling and why you believe in it, and particularly the cat. I know it's probably hard. We can't demonstrate because we're you yeah. know, <laughs> in a podcast, well, but well, why it's so important. The thing, the, the history behind, well, swaddling's been, uh, you know, I mean, if we got want to get sort of history, Jesus was in swaddling clothes. I mean, you know, yeah. that's sort of why it, it's yeah. swaddling. But but wrapping has been, or, or, or swaddling or whatever it is, um, 
has just been happening forever, you know. And um, if you think about it, and this is what I try and teach um, new parents, is that you've got to think about where the baby is and where it's been. So it's been in the uterus all its life, and every time it's moved, it's had that buffer of the of a, a uterus. And when it comes out, it's never felt space or air, and they've got these, you know, like primitive reflexes because they want to hold on to something. Mm-hmm. Then, um, so wrapping, and uh, and why I, I or how I invented the cath strap was because. Um, uh, must be in the 80s. We used to put all our, all the babies on their tummy and just tuck them in because they do they did sleep better. And then with all the information of SIDS, which was it was just terrible. Like we had babies dying every week, and so it was so important that we put and, and took all the information for SIDS and um, put them on their back. I mean, you wouldn't believe how how long ago women were smoking in pregnancy and and in the house. You know, it was commonplace. Um, so, so when we put babies on their back, they were sort of like this again. So I invented a way of, and it looks complicated. <laughs> I've done it thousands of times, so I don't find it complicated. So, so I use a, a really big wrap and basically wrap over one one side of the chest and under the arm and then over the other. So the baby's arms can move, not sit up like this, but Mm. actually can move like they're in utero. And the other thing, and that's why I use a a very big wrap, is that the the end of the wrap can come up and tuck around right high under the baby, uh, up in the chest. Mm. So the baby can then move its hips and legs. People often, you know, the rap doesn't work. I'm like, it does. <laughs> You're the parent. It's about you. <laughs> it was all about me, Kath. It was all in my head. Once I committed, it did start work. Yeah. And I had to, yeah, play around with a few different, yeah, approaches and styles and how I think it was Tommy in this case liked his hands to be because, yeah, some prefer they all out do that. So that, that out. You have to work with that, you know, mm. you, and you're the parent. That, that's mm. um, and you know. I'm just laughing because I often say that when they're screaming at me, I say I'm the parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well it's very important. But, the, but um, you know, wrapping um, a baby while uh, breastfeeding, um, you know, Mother Nature is very sensible, and Mother Nature wanted wants our babies to feel um, safe and warm. Um, when we're breastfeeding the babies. And, you know, I see babies that are naked, um, you know, breastfeeding and they're cold and they're screaming, they don't sleep well, and that doesn't make sense to me because, you know, I have a very fixed idea how labour, what lab, what happens, sorry, not labour, what happens when baby's feeding and, you know, the wrapping is is really important to mm. to for two things. It's very important for feeding. And it's also important for sleeping. So with the feeding, if you pick the baby up when it wakes up and you feed the baby and then after one feed and burping and whatever and you unwrap and do some tummy time, then the baby actually um, and do a bit of back back time and change the nappy and rewrap, the baby is then alert and ready to feed on the other side. Mm-hmm. So you know, all of these, um, you know, things people say, 
it's about thinking about it. You've got to think about it. You've got to think about what you're doing Um, because if you just read someone's idea on Facebook or something like that, it just doesn't work. You've got to think and you stress yourself you out. You stress yourself out. You stress yourself out. You're like, oh my gosh, is it that way or is it that way? Or I mean, you know, and you, mm-hmm. as you said, you get out of your body and you're not really in your body going, what makes rational sense? And am yeah. I listening to my child? And this goes back to the point. And one of the final things I wanted to finish on with you, um, Kath, is around the, the pressure we put on ourselves, particularly as mothers. I mean, I know even before having a child, I experienced um, prenatal depression. I I put it out to our audience and um, fewer people experienced prenatal. So it was um, 45% did, but postnatal 60% did. Oh, very high. um, Which is just huge, isn't it? I would... um, So there's one thing about sort of anxiety and depression. It's like the chicken and the egg, what comes first, but they're usually both connected. Yeah. One of the worst things people can do is uh, is think that um, uh, they need to go off their medication before they have the baby. It's mm-hmm. so important for women who are taking medication for depression and or anxiety to stay on their medication during the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. The the postnatal depend, um, depression and I mean the way I explained it is that it's. There's, if you have a, a graph from one to a hundred, you know, I might be at a hundred and you might be 70, 60. At, at some level, we all go through it's whether it's a depression, whether it's a state of teary or sensitive, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of that is through sleep deprivation. And then other women, you know, m- more high up in the, in the graph would, it's really clinical depression mm. and uh, I've looked after a lot of women and it's very, very sad when they're so very depressed, you know, with their baby. Um, but, um, you know, I think a lot of women, I think every woman feels something after they've had their baby and because it's so overwhelming, it's such a change and it's a responsibility to keep a baby alive. It's mm. like it's up to us. Mm. So, um, you know, again, that's why, you know, I want things to be simple for women so they can feel good about themselves because part of feeling good about yourself is that you're in control of what the baby's doing. Mm. And it's not that hard. And I shouldn't say that because <laughs> I found it hard too. But what I'm saying is that it's not that hard to find some um, some simple ways of doing it rather than going outside the square all the time because mm. we've been doing it for centuries and it's mm-hmm. and it's been working you know? So, um, look, not everyone likes what I do. I think that's fine. I mean, I'm very confident in what I do. I've done it all my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I feel proud that I can help women, you know, with their babies and, you know, you see in their faces when you're talking and they're just like, yes, I understand. And there's nothing more empowering than, Mm them um then helping a new parent feel good about themselves and you know it's 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 wonderful such impactful work um for any final tips for new mothers that comes to mind what are the key things you would say well i i would say you don't have to do everything you know let people in as in you know if your partner you know you you you're sort of worried about the partner doing the bath 
your partner's not going to do anything hard. Like, it's not going to drown your baby. Like, let it go. Um, have a rest, you know. And I think the only thing that comes through COVID is no visitors. I think it's great. And I really talk that up for women saying this, you will, you will do better long term because of this. You know, and everyone has their own, you know, sort of issues with COVID. Um, and, you know, and I just think love your baby, keep them close. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't like putting them down. I love the, holding them. And I think, you know, letting people understand that, it, you know, there's not these rules about babies yeah. being carried. It's like, you know. Mm, that was a real take out out of your book, Kath, just to love your baby and be there for your baby and give it what it needs, which is a mother, you know, it's family's love, right? Yeah. And it Um, makes, it makes it simple because mm. that food, love, warmth that I go is it's, Mm. you know, lots of milk, lots of love and wrapping is the warmth, you know? Mm. And if you think of that in a simple way, you can't really go wrong. Kind of makes sense. It's because a lot of people are thinking that if if the baby goes to bed or they're feeding it to sleep, it's going to do that all its life. It's like, what are you talking about? It's got nothing to do with it. And that's the fear that's put in women's brain that I get concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for everyone listening, a midwife Cass has her own podcast, Birth, Baby and Beyond. So tell us a little bit about your podcast, Kath. So this last one I've done on, it's all about sleep. Mm -hmm. So from birth to about five years, I go through all the sleeping process. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm my next, so that's the sixth series. You've been very busy. I know. I know. But it's, I don't don't do life any other way. (laughs) Good for you and helpful for all of us. (laughs) That's for sure. Honestly, I think on behalf of all, you know, new mums out there, we're just like honestly so grateful for the work that you do and you've honestly you've changed so many lives you certainly changed mine with your book and made things a little bit easier on on my front live you'd probably say the same yeah it's lovely to hear I always say come up and talk to me you know I actually stopped a lady in the supermarket and I said how are you going she she was pregnant we had a talk my son's like oh my god he just walked (laughs) off and uh I said have you read any books Uh, so I'm reading the first six weeks I said I said, I'm midwife Kath. And she goes, what? <laughs> it's very funny. It was very, um, very funny. Even takeouts today, just like simplify it, right? Even things yeah. that I've been overthinking the last week about food and sleep and whatever else for, you know, the wee eight-month-old and the two-and-a-half-year-old to stop. What you've got to remember is by school time, they'll be eating, drinking, yeah. sleeping, weeing, yeah. pooing, and talking. <laughs> you know, there's no hurry. Okay. Woosha. I'm going to take a deep breath. Thanks, Kath. More yeah. wisdom. Being Thanks, Thanks again, Kath. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. Want to be part of the Parenthood community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Parenthood Pod. Now I'll let you get back to the organized chaos. Until next time.